Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with Sate Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, SAIT has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at www.sate.ca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what SAIT can do for you. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Lior Rothschild. How are you, Lior? Oh, wonderful. So great to be on your program, Tyler. Thank you so much for coming on again, Calgary, small world of Calgary. I'm, I think somebody who knew you, who knew me, introduced us. Like, I love the big small town that we live in. And I, I think I say that on every episode, but it's, uh, I knew of you and you know, I'm a big fan of your podcast. One of the many things, you know, on your, uh, a man of many talents, but certainly podcast host for pipelines and turbines, which for anyone, if you're curious at all about what's happening in that space and, uh, Go and check it out. It's a great, it's a great episode. But more importantly, you're executive director at the CBSR, which is Canadian Business for Social Responsibility. So uh, let's start there. Maybe we'll get into the podcast and what you guys focus on a little bit more. But talk to me about the CBSR and your role over there. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I should have probably started by saying, you know, a long time listener, first time caller, because <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of uh, this podcast as well. I think you do a great job. At- at uh, creating the collisions and, and bringing together some real um, influencers who are making, uh, making our community uh, a more vibrant place. Thank you. Um, and thank you for the plug for our podcast uh, as well. Um, but uh, you asked about CBSR. So Canadian Business for Social Responsibility is a 25-year-old organization. I've been leading it for the last four years. And really what CBSR is, is a network for 50 leading companies across Canada in several different sectors who are championing business as a force for good. And we have a number of different programs that we deliver to these, to these companies who are working on some complex challenges like uh, becoming net zero by 2050, developing uh, sophisticated diversity inclusion programs, and uh, building uh, the future of Canada's circular economy. And um, so we support them in their efforts to do all that. And at the same time, are a very public-facing organization. So we do webinars and uh, different communications programs to really help tell the story of the changing landscape as it relates to businesses and, uh, and the future of the economy. I love that you guys have been around for 20... Is it just me? And please, this is where I always love to just throw my ignorance out on the table. It feels like, is this a a 25 year overnight success. And maybe I'm uh, in terms of all of a sudden, like social responsibility is on everybody's mind. And, you know, I'm talking to you and you're like, this has been on my mind for 20 years. This organization's been around for 25, but I noticed on your website, you had some statistics. You had a 300% increase in your membership since 2019. Doesn't feel like a coincidence that maybe there's a global issue that happened that got this on everybody's radar. So am I wrong to think that from the outside or am I just getting caught up? (laughs) Uh, it's a great question. Uh, yeah, on some levels, it is maybe the the uh, you know sort of a twenty five year overnight success. But um, I, in other ways, it I think it reflects where we are, and it's 
perhaps not the first time we've been here, but it is different this time okay. as well. Um, just looking at CBSR's 25-year history, um, you know, it, it started in 95 and, uh, and I think, you know, had sort of like a, a very small footprint in the Canadian space for the first few years. It was very focused on small and medium-sized companies, a more of a kind of a niche community in Vancouver where the organization originated. Mm-hmm. And then around 2000 is when it really took off, became national. And it was largely because the energy companies, so oil and gas, was facing some complex issues with um, reporting about their their community engagement work and a lot of complex uh, issues going on there. And the financial sector was also entering sort of a space where people were looking at um, sustainability in a new way. And this whole area of like sustainability reporting was just kind of like really started to take off. And so CBSR was a hub of activity for learning how to do that using the best practices internationally, but in a very Canadian context. And it's a bit ironic that you know, sustainability reporting was kind of led sort of the first wave of growth for CBSR uh, about 20 years ago. And now we're seeing the same kind of issues come back, but under this new language of ESG, ESG. or environment, social and governance. And, uh, and the whole idea around disclosure, how do you actually present the data that shows that you are not just a good company with some nice stories about what you're doing for people on the planet, but actually looking at um, integrating the where the world is going as it relates to focus on stakeholder concerns and a focus on the biggest environmental issues of our time and deeply integrating that into the core of your business and showing the data to back that up. That's kind of the space we're in. That's, how it's evolved in the last 20 years. Uh, right. Just interesting, from a historical perspective, you go back to 2000 when you said things really, like you had oil and gas or the energy sector starting to have some challenges that they needed to respond to. Um, you talked about SMEs. You talked about, uh, curious, back then, was it driven by financial like investors demanding that their companies were making better decisions around maybe, because uh, I remember the greenwashing and a lot of the environmental movement that happened back then, and some of it was a little bit of a PR campaign, to be blunt. But then also, you know, how much, uh, curious, how much did regulate regulatory play a role? And then with social license and, you know, the public's concern about who you were and how you operating was that in place or are those just more current just i'm curious to hear you say it was like it was here it kind of went down a little bit and now now it's back again like which what drivers were in place then versus how that's changed now yeah great question again um i would say it's not necessarily that it went down during those sort of peak periods it's more that it, it was there was a bit of a, a leveling off which i think created some complacency perhaps okay uh, people knew how to do how to do the stuff that we were talking about 20 years ago and they did it well. And the compliance that you sort of asked about, it caught up. Uh, at the time it was, you know, sort of a couple of steps ahead of what the regulatory requirements were and the really regulatory requirements, they're not for the leaders. The leaders are always going to be looking at where's this stuff going? Let me get in front of it. I'm going to get there before my competitors do. The regulatory requirements really make the laggards 
catch up to where the rest of the main field is. Um, so I would say that, again, we're at the stage where the regulatory environment is behind. It needs to catch up. That's understandable. But there is something that is probably most significant that is very different today than what we've seen in the past. And that is that uh, you asked about the, the financial markets and the investors. Mm-hmm. I would say that never before have we seen the kind of alignment that exists right now in capital markets around the need to change, the need to change. And it's fascinating when you can say that, you know, whether you're reading Mark Carney's new book, you know, the former uh, mm-hmm. head of the Bank of England and the Bank of Canada, uh, Larry Fink, the largest uh, fund manager in the world, you know, $9 trillion under assets, <laughs> looking to invest it in companies, it, you know, that these people are on the you know, using the same talking points and literally pursuing the same agenda that David Suzuki and Greta Thunberg are, you know, that like is, that's a really interesting comparison to throw those four, those four names together. That's really interesting. The alignment around that is, uh, is unbelievable. And then, you know, I mean, if in case anybody listening doesn't, know yet that this is mainstream and 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 um and that's not a dig that's not a dig because you see say that with a slight i told you so (laughs) no 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 it's more of uh it it would be understandable to 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 think that you know with the discourse over the last year being so rightly focused on covid19 that you would think that you know some of the climate change conversations would have fallen onto a back burner you would be forgiven to think that that was the case. Okay, but I, I appreciate that part of you. The, far, the reality is far different. Um, the appetite for this stuff has only accelerated and companies that aren't focused on addressing that or, heaven forbid, are still saying that it's a hoax or that it's not real, mm-hmm. um, that like there is a financial penalty for doing that. So... Whether it's a personal belief or not, it is financially irresponsible to to pursue your business in that way. So, so um, you know, and uh, and again, uh, getting back to my point, in case it's not clear that this is mainstream, the Supreme Court of Canada recently concluded that carbon pricing is constitutional. It's here to stay, and it's an existential crisis for our country. So. Uh, it's it's happening, you know. So we need to we need to align with it because not just because it's an environmental concern, of course it is, but more importantly, it is the future of our economy, and we shouldn't be left behind by where it's going. We should be positioning ourselves to be competitive in that economy. I appreciate that. It's so easy when listen to, to you talk, and it, for me, it's easy to default there. But when I hear social responsibility, that's different. We're not just talking about the environment anymore either. Like that's an easy one to go. Absolutely, we've got greenhouse gases are real. Carbon pricing is a thing, and it's for a reason. But what you and I, you and I had a pre-chat, which I really liked. You said, "Hey, let's not forget that there's other elements that are included in that." And when you know, I look on your website, you know, Transalta, you've got CP. It's easy to think of those bigger players as like some of the moves they're making environmentally. But when you think about you know just diversity and inclusion thrown in there, which feels like it's always been there, but that's 
obviously been a lot more top of mind, media related, and it's a make or break for your organization. So for you guys, how much of your consulting and the work you do is maybe in the environmental side of the house versus all of these other elements? And maybe what are some of the other elements that need to be on our radar when we think about social responsibility? Yeah, um, you're, you're, <laughs> you're asking all the right questions here, Tyler. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, because um, it is tempting and, uh, and you know, it is uh, at times frustrating to be having conversations about pieces of this uh, with people who are deep subject matter experts on in one area or another. So if you're having a mm. conversation, for example, on climate action and the risks around climate uh, issues, um, sometimes it can, um, you don't have the people who are working on the people side of, you know, the migration that's associated with that or the, you know, the way that it impacts uh, lower income uh, people who are more vulnerable, for example, um, you have sort of like people who are deeply specialized in sort of the technical aspects of climate action. And so we do, I think, as a society, need to get better at seeing a lot of these issues as, um, you know, multi, multidisciplinary. And, <laughs> how, do, uh, how, do we, how do we make the human factor a, a data point and, and not yeah. just a data point? You know what I mean? I just listened to yeah. you talk. You're right. Cause you get into the world environmental, it becomes very technical and a degree of a proficiency around impact and cause and effect. You can get lost in the data and forget that there's, there's humans involved. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I read this recently, uh, uh, you know, there was a point about like the, the only way we're going to get to a greener world is if we also make it a fairer world. Hmm. And, um, and I think that that's, yeah, I think that that's a really, um, salient point that really does need to come out that diversity, inclusion and equity, uh, you know, mindset that I think so many of us have arrived at in part because of some of the things that have happened over the last year, whether it's, you know, right. George Floyd and as we're recording this podcast, the, the, the trial for the police officer that, uh, that murdered George Floyd is taking place. And for anybody that's been following that, it's shocking. I mean, uh, the guy's commanding officer just testified recently that, yeah, like, the, the guy died four minutes before the police officer's elbow or uh, sorry knee came off his neck. I didn't. I have not Something heard. I, wrong I, had, with I, had, that. I had heard that. I'm trying to watch it with one eye, but then not watch it at the same time, which I know. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, yeah, anyways, yeah. It's it's a very specific issue, but it yeah. speaks to a broader issue, which is that um, there there are people in our community who are not getting a fair deal and we all have unconscious bias um, to say that we're oblivious to it or that we you know that our sort of knee-jerk reaction is saying no 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 I'm not racist I have lots of friends who are indigenous and it's kind of like yeah but I think that we've arrived at this place in history where people are saying to us the definition of racism has changed. It's not about you having friends who represent certain uh, cultural communities. It's about saying, do you understand the context in which you live and the, all the things that make up you know, the quality of life that you enjoy that are a result of other people's suffering? 
And if you're not actively working to smooth that out and change it, then you are part of the problem. And so I think that that speaks to our responsibility to say, you know, whether it's climate issues, whether it's economic issues, whether it's, you know, business issues, or whether it's the institutions that govern how we live and, and, uh, and are policed mm-hmm. uh, or governed, um, that we should be asking, is, is anybody missing from this conversation right now? Should we be championing and making space for other people who aren't being invited to talk about how they're affected and how we could be more fair across the board. Uh, Cause that's the thing, right? It's as long as the same voices are making the same decisions, uh, we're always going to get the same outcomes. So we need to create more diversity and include more people in the important conversations happening Again, it, not just in business, all across our society. As as the CBSR, you have used to have fifty member companies that you work with. Is, is there territory you guys don't wade into? And I'm just understanding a kind of where you like. It feels like such a big nut you're trying to crack when it comes to mm. social responsibility with these organizations. And do you just meet them where they are and then allow them to be on their journey and support and guide? And because again, it's hard to tackle all these things at once. What's hard? It's impossible. You know, I'm going to put on my strap, but we're going to list every single thing we need to, we need to conquer because they're all important. And are they urgent? Are they not? I'm just curious from a, from your role as a partner to these organizations, how do you help them prioritize when everything's important? <laughs> I don't yeah. know if, that's a fair, if that's a fair way to ask that question. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's you're, you're, you're providing a great um, opportunity for me to, to speak to what I think is a bit of the magic of CBSR because we do, I think, two things fairly well. One, and, and it, in some ways it makes our, our job easier to prioritize. As, as you said, it's a, it's a big area and there are different areas to specialize in. Thankfully, there are, we're not the only one in the ecosystem. There's lots of organizations okay. that do great work. Um, for example, if somebody was coming to me saying, I need somebody to like specifically help me, you know, do research around, you know, the pathways to get to this, uh, you know, net zero by 2050, I'll say, have you read the new report from um, the Canadian Institute for Climate Choices? They've done some fantastic work in this area. So there's, there's lots of groups that deeply specialize, you know, I think Pembina Institute's doing some really great work around electrification and, uh, and, and, and a number of other areas as well. There, there's others in this space that specialize in different things. What I think we do is uh, curate a lot of great content and summarize it in a bit of a bite-sized way so people can understand it and ideally integrate it into their core business. But also because we are talking to companies literally every day from across the country, we get to hear from them. What are your investors asking you about? What are your executives okay. telling you is important to them? Uh, what are you? What are the challenges you're working through? And that helps us to see. Oh yeah, we're seeing some common threads here. We need to uh, be doing more work in this area and providing more uh, support in this area. And then on top of all that. Uh, one last piece is that we are kind of looking internationally. One group that we work closely with outside of Canada is a group called the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, or WBCSD. They do some terrific uh, 
thought leadership work and uh, and we get ideas from that and come up with our own around areas that we think are being underrepresented but we see as um, really important things that should be put on put higher on the radar and so we put out some thought leadership pieces whether they're research reports uh, we do webinars and uh, and other um, I guess uh, you know briefing documents white papers as well that uh, uh, in fact, we've got a white paper coming out soon on this area of sustainable procurement. How are companies and governments spending their money, cons- uh, whether they're contracting suppliers or spending money on infrastructure, for example, that are consistent with their net zero targets and their commitments to supplier diversity? What we're finding through some research is it, there's a huge gap. Well, it's back to the old, like my mom always said, you are the company you keep. So if you're making some great choices, but yet you've brought partners, vendors to the table that maybe are not making the same choices, does that cancel out or where are you responsible? That's interesting when you start to think of the tag along or the drag along effect from all this and supply chain. How often do we not even know as consumers? And I know we're demanding it and asking for it more than ever, but we punch in that purchase on Amazon. Do we know where it was produced? Do we know how it was shipped? Like it's an interesting world. If you take it down to the one on one to one, me and my world and my, and my consumption as North Americans, where North Americans were expert consumers, let's be honest, but where does that go? And I think of a large organization and even the procurement process, to layer this in. It's a huge responsibility, but the impact can be monstrous because back to follow the money and you know if you're investors, if I'm buying with my if I'm buying with the power of my dollars and deciding, it can really influence my behavior at a at a vendor partner level. But it's way more complex than just talking about it here on the podcast. Yeah, it it's true. And you you raise an interesting point about sort of the responsibility of consumers and I think for a long time, you know people had sort of that mindset of saying, um, yeah, like, uh, we'll do what our consumers are demanding of us. If they want us to um, use, uh, you know, low-wage labor and, uh, and you know, and uh, uh, cause environmental concern but get the cheapest price, then we'll, we'll meet that demand. Yeah. And I, I think that, <laughs> I think that um, we're seeing that, that is a change. It's not just about the consumer anymore. It's mm-hmm. about saying the consumer doesn't always understand the, the full picture, but the investors want to see your, your homework. They want to see the data. So it's not just about consumers. It's also about demonstrating that you understand that things are changing, that our economy is mm-hmm. changing, and if you're not looking at your supply chain as sort of like, this is my team, I, I kind of treat my supply chain as my cohort, I don't expect them to be perfect, but together we're sort of building where we're going together. And, and if they have no interest in that, then I'll find suppliers who are interested. Um, but if I have no relationship with some factory in China or wherever, whatever country, and I have no idea if... You know, if people are being f- treated fairly there, but hey, that's just the way my industry goes. You are in danger. <laughs> Change that behavior because the leaders in every industry are asking those questions. Oh my gosh, what risks exist in my supply chain that I don't even know about? And this is the time to be addressing that and creating as much 
data and transparency across those supply chains as possible. Because if the investors aren't asking you for it now, they're going to be asking you for it soon. You might as well get ahead of it. And depending on which industry you're in, you're probably there's probably a series of different cycles that are happening. But you're right; if it's happening over here, it's going to happen. It's going to happen over over there. Yeah, and 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 I'll just say one more thing about that. That, um, you know, uh, so CBSR has traditionally worked with larger companies, but we we have a new SME program or small medium sized enterprise program, and I think for companies that are part of supply chains for bigger companies. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to. Mm, okay, I like how you're positioning okay. that because I was going to ask because yeah. on your website at CP, trans, you know, there's larger companies. As a smaller company, where do I play? But you're right. Typically, I'm part of a larger company's supply chain as just part of that B2B world. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I think we're seeing an increase now in sort of like, and this this is a nice tie-in with some of the diversity and inclusion uh, topics that we talked about because. I think there's a lot more rigor and, and, and credibility associated with various certifications right now. Okay. Um, you know, I think when people in the past would say, yeah, like we, our coffee is uh, fair trade certified, you know, people are like, what does that mean? Like, that's a complicated thing. Now, some of these certifications are very rigorous, um, you know, uh, triple checked by all kinds of different agencies. And there's all kinds of certifications that could be earned, including indigenous-owned, women-owned businesses, um, social enterprises, B Corp certified companies. And all of these certifications, they mean something. And what they mean is that you can bid for contracts that companies who don't have those certifications cannot. Mm -hmm. And companies that are looking at their supply chain in new ways are looking for you as a company that's certified in these particular areas. I appreciate that because as a purchaser, I need an easy way to know that you are who you say you are. And if that certification and that process that is credible and I know what you went through, that allows that to happen. Are you seeing technologies like, I just had a conversation the other day with an individual and he'd worked on, you know, uh, was involved with Walmart when they brought blockchain in to really help manage their the vegetable side of the produce side of their business to be able to track it all the way back. Are you seeing things like blockchain coming in to provide that irrefutable, no, we made good choices and yes, here's the, here's the irrefutable history of where we made our purchases and what our processes is, or is that, is that still coming from a technology perspective? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's probably early, so I think mm-hmm. it's still coming, but, um, but one thing's for sure is that, uh, when it comes to this whole area of, uh, you know, actually collecting data on what businesses are doing and, uh, and how they're making society better, there is a lot of um, there is a lot of machine learning going on in terms of okay. aggregating large large volumes of data. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's where I see it playing out in sort of data collection. But okay. I, I think I think it's the still the thin edge or the wedge. I think there's a huge area uh, of growth around incorporating blockchain and machine learning into uh, an artificial intelligence into um, how you do all of this. Right. Uh, as, as it slowly becomes the backdrop for everything we do, right? right? As, as, as yeah. a technology. The, the we we talk about it now as a new thing where eventually it, we just talk about that it's there. It's just going to be operating in the background always. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, actually it was interesting. I, um, 
hold on. Let me just make one one point before I I make another point, which is uh, that that of course uh, you know from a diversity and inclusion point of view, there is a sort of an ethical debate out there that that I see growing around uh, you know how do you make sure that AI isn't programmed by people with only one perspective, more sort of you know, male dominated. When you see the uh, statistics of 80% white males under 35 are working in the AI, there are some crazy yeah. statistics that back to your cognitive biases. How do we not pass our cognitive biases on? Exactly. I know, I know you're a recent uh, new father, you're building your AI, yeah. you're kind of passing on your beliefs to the next generation, if you will. That's, that's exactly it. So, <laughs> so I think there's, um, you know, that's as, as, as you're right, as these things become, integrated into all of our everything we do in society that it is going to be even more important to ensure that fairness continues as a growing theme within that technology space um i you said you said that uh you know this this whole area is going to be the backdrop for everything i i think um i think that you know there there is like a lot of wisdom in that because you know the the whole idea of like being a um being a you know, especially in some of the, the the technical trades, you know, like I think of like geologists and uh, engineers. Um, you know, the, there's been a it. You, you're sort of taught when you go into those professions to think differently, right? It's not you're not thinking about um, you know, sort of like, well, m- my gut is telling me this, and you know, sort of, uh, I believe that this is how people are going to react, and so therefore, um, you know, we're going to make this decision. It's like. No, there's a, a very specific process in place. It's more technically inclined process. You're training your brain to do that and, and to think like that. But um, the new sort of skill to, to, um, to think about all these different areas isn't, you know, an accounting brain or an engineering brain or an economist brain. It's a, it's a data science brain. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. the, when you apply data science to everything, including how you treat people better and how you solve um, societal, uh, you know, challenges like uh, like uh, the climate crisis, like it's a it's a very different way of viewing the world. So much less subjective and so much more. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I love when you get into, you know, where we're going and it's not just like, oh, we're going to have these new technologies. It's new ways of thinking about old problems and even looking at how our data was collected and what biases are already baked in or things we thought we knew, but now we have data to show that, well, actually, maybe we were incorrect and being okay to say we were incorrect because we've got new information. That was another one because politically sometimes that can be death or even as a leader going, oh, I was wrong. What? what? Oh my God, I can't, you know, the, the, the freedom to say I've now learned a better way uh, there's some permissibility there that I think we still struggle with as a society sometimes. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, <laughs> COVID-19, right? What, what, how different would our, our response have looked like if it was just driven by data science? Just, just <laughs> good point. Yeah. Just the data. That's a, that's a podcast. That's another episode unto itself I I, that I don't know if I'm qualified to manage or even be on that podcast, but I like, I'd listen to it. I would listen to it for sure. Yeah. Uh, Lior, stack ranking a little bit here. Where do we sit? Like you obviously, you know, it's in your name, Canadian. Uh, you obviously have a global preview and I know this is a world that, that you've lived in for a long time. Where does Canada sit? And we'll start with Canada against the global and then we'll maybe work down and can't not have this podcast talking about eventually getting back to Calgary and Alberta. Where, yeah. where do you think Canada sits on this, on this stage? And then we can work, we can work our way down from there and see how our rank holds up. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it depends what you're referring to specifically, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll maybe start a bit more general and, and make space for you to to uh, uh, pin me down to one area. <laughs> but uh, thank you, will, thank you. I'll, I'll do I'll do my best. <laughs> you know, there's there's um there's pockets of uh, of our sort of competitive position that uniquely position Canada to really do very well on where this whole area is going. Um, I think some people, that might be surprising to some people. Some people perhaps see Canada as, um, you know, a very natural resource-based economy, you know, with a a large uh, uh, oil and gas industry. Uh, You Forgive me if I'm jumping to the the Calgary scene a little early here. That's okay. Uh, No, that's okay. (laughs) I actually think that uh, we are very, very well positioned to capitalize on where things are going, especially in the energy space. And I'm happy to talk more about that. But uh, I will say that um, we are also um, quite divided too. Um, okay. And that that's a barrier. Um, politically, we're, we're not as polarized as the US, but we also don't have as much, um, I guess, you know, for good and bad, you know, we don't have as much autonomy as like sort of like a state of California that could literally just create their own economy and, right. and a, you know, a trading block with, with European countries to like have like a separate economy from the rest of the country. Like we don't have that luxury. We don't have the scale to do something like that. And so Canada's quite decentralized. There's a lot of um, political power that resides in the provinces, especially when it comes to issues like natural resources. Although, like I, like I teased before with the Supreme Court decision, you know, uh, there is a bit more centralization when it comes to issues like carbon pricing. So mm-hmm. I think that that's actually a good thing from the point of view of moving in one direction rather than moving in a direction and then businesses wondering, is this going to last or are we just going to change the rules again? And in, in, in our next four, in our next four year four year cycle, yeah. <laughs> so that that is a bit of a problem I see. But having said that, I think that you know when you look at specific industries, especially just in the last few years that have really broken out, and I'm think you know I'm sort of looking at you, clean tech entrepreneurs, like Canada is punching so far above its weight, and I think that. Um, you know, regardless of where you sit in the political spectrum, I think that, you know, both uh, sort of people who might identify themselves as, uh, you know, uh, sort of progressive voters or, or act- activists and, you know, more c- conservative thinkers and, uh, and, and you know, sort of um, uh, people who identify in that way, uh, that regardless of where you sit on that, it, it might be a good idea to, like, conclude that, the uh, you know the four years under Donald Trump sort of um, held the U.S. back from being a leader in some of the areas like um, you know uh, mm-hmm. investing in clean tech and clean infrastructure. But I can tell you because there's been a bit of a sort of foot dragging on some of those topics. There's now an acceleration that's happening. Sort of the pendulum is swinging the other direction now. And things are moving really rapidly. And so the U.S. is, I think, moving to a stage of incredible competitiveness over the next few years in catching up to where the economy is going. And so I think it will be a challenge for Canada to keep up with that. Um, 
because it was such a fight to get to where we are now, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, have we got it in us to go, you know, 10 times faster and further, um, you know, from the point of view of like the sort of entrepreneur ecosystem, I think all the ingredients are there from the point of view of the commitment that I see in the, in the business community to move in a really progressive direction. Absolutely. It's there. The investors are telling companies they don't really have a choice. So, so the impetus is there, um, but politically and, and sort of culturally, because our culture is shaped by some of the politics in Canada and how divided we are as a country. Um, there are, you know, there's some things we need to work out. And when you, you know, you're going to host a conference in Calgary, you're going to host a conference in Vancouver, host one in Toronto. I would assume from that perspective of who's in the audience looking back at you, the message is probably, I would have guessed, land quite differently. Just by my own conversations with friends and family across the country, there feels like there's very different storylines and just level of awareness being told and understood, you know, getting to an oil and gas conversation in with my family in Quebec, like not a criticism. They have, they have no concept and neither did I until I moved here. I just didn't understand. And so whatever the media fills in for me, I, that must be what I know because that's my only source of information. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, uh, I'll just give a really quick example because like, um, you, you you talked about some of the different energy stories that are happening across the country. Um, you know, um, yeah, I you know I I'm a, I'm a Calgarian and I'm you know of course shaped by some of what I see in the media. You know, reading the Calgary Herald, you would think that Indigenous communities in uh, you know in the coast of BC are very much against development and that, you know, pipelines that, you know, uh, Albertan companies are trying to build to get uh, product out to Asia is somehow, um, you know, like that indigenous communities are somehow in the way of that economic development and nothing could be further from the truth <laughs> because when you go and you visit some of these communities, what you see is there's certainly no lack of development. Like there's so much development happening there that it's just like it's development on steroids. So the question is not, you know, development or no development. The question is like what type of development is going to be good for us economically, is going to have the best deal for us in terms of spurring local indigenous business opportunities, Uh, you know, and so like. When, you know, people are upset, like, you know, indigenous people don't want our pipelines because they're like looking at 150 different pipeline projects. And there's this one, you know, from Alberta, like is maybe not the best choice for, you know, this particular community. And you can't fault them for that. It also, but it never it never gets talked about as from on a business level like what you just said. Is this the best deal for us? Is the best business opportunity? Yeah. Not we're completely against it. Which is so easy to create that talking point of pro versus con versus like well, let's unpack that maybe we're just not giving them the best deal <laughs> or maybe we're not presenting the best. Like when a deal falls through because both parties couldn't agree on a mutually beneficial arrangement. Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting to hear you say. I really appreciate you saying that because you're right. The media polarizes it into into something that it it, it usually often isn't. <laughs> I'll say one one more thing because I think it's important um, on this topic. Um, you know, the where we are as Canadians on this issue of truth and reconciliation, it's important that we recognize where we are because it took so long to just get people to start talking about 
what what has happened to these communities um you know whether it's through the residential schools or like um you know the the genocide that was uh, attempted against these communities you know like it's important to recognize like when you know when we don't see indigenous people um you know having the same sort of uh, economic opportunities and privilege that most Canadians enjoy uh, and in some communities, even more extreme, like clean water. I mean, you know, the the, the, the fundamentals, yeah, the fundamentals. Then you know, it, it's not about anybody standing in the way of economic development. It's about people asking for a fair deal. You know, <laughs> it's it's like it's a very different story. And so, if we're serious about you know recognizing, okay, we uh, we understand that now, or we at least um, are aware of that now. What you know, the next step has to be. How do we incorporate that into how we do business? And it certainly doesn't look like, you know, ramming something through even when people are telling us they want something different. Um, it's about saying, you know, like, what, what do you want? Like, how can we meet your needs? How can we, in, how can we create opportunities for you? you? You sort of, you tell us, like, what do you actually need? And like, we'll, because we're really innovative people will find solutions that are good for us and meet your needs. And I think that's the way we need to start thinking about um, some of those really important issues that, again, can be a little divisive in Canada, but is part of the future of the way we do business in this country. I really appreciate the complexity of, you know, the, the, the opportunity, the challenges, the change that you guys are tackling as an organization when you talk about everything from, yeah, we need deep level engineering and environmental science to understand what's actually happening and how to impact it. But what I heard you just say, maybe we need to listen a little bit more, more than we talk. You know, it's still just like there's still a layer and you've used the word fair so many times and it's such an interesting human concept because it's powerful. We all have an idea what it means. And if we're told somehow we're not being fair, that doesn't feel good. Like even as a new I was watching a negotiations thing the other day and they're like oh telling someone they're not fair not treating you fairly in a negotiation will get an emotional response because as humans we inherently want to feel that we're being fair to each other and to hear you talk about it at such a human level all the way up or all the way down to you know the complexity of an esg report it's an interesting it's a it's it's a big lift like it's it's not an easy task Lior. i guess is what i'm saying stating the obvious with a whole bunch of words (laughs) yeah absolutely and um and i'll uh i'll maybe just sort of uh maybe (laughs) say this for some of the maybe more um, kind of like ardent uh, people who might be listening to this podcast who, who are like, yeah, I knew business was bad. Um, it's kind of like, you know, this stuff's pretty complex. And uh, as humans, we're, we're all kind of like in this challenge together. We, you know, we're, we're trying to do something we haven't done before, created an economic system that works for everybody. That's never been the case. So if we're serious about getting there, um, we do need to uh, be a bit forgiving for people who are, who are on sort of the edges of trying to, trying to get it right. It's not going to work every time. Uh, it's not going to be perfect. There's always going to be a process of constant improvement. Uh, we do have to celebrate the companies uh, and the leaders generally, you know, in all mm-hmm. sort of walks of society who are we're trying to figure it out and create a template for others to follow. It's easy to sort of say, this is the, this is the model. I'm just following the model, but to actually like um, get it right when there aren't that many examples to follow and each industry is different. So Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think let's just 
let's just recognize for a moment that, you know, we're not talking about faceless entities, you know, like trying to like uh, move sort of like the, an entire macro system all at once. It's like, these are humans trying to make decisions that impact a lot of people, jobs, you know, like a lot, lot of moving parts. And um, yeah, we're all in this together. And what I've heard loud and clear, certainly my filter on it, is that businesses are massive agents for change, and mm. more of them are getting on board than ever before. And there's a broader mix of opportunities where they can have impact, from diversity and inclusion, right to you know environmentally sustainable you know environments, those types of things. But you know, business as change agents that are now getting more on board. To me, that's where you're going to see the, us be able to move the needle in our society where you said, like, there are leaders and they're the people that are doing it because it's the right thing to do or they see the trends going that way. Then there's the ones that are in the middle and then like any curve, there's the adopters and then there's the ones that are going to do it because it's regulated. And I heard you say also that regulations are still, they haven't caught up to where we are, but that doesn't mean there's a whole bunch of organizations that aren't going, well, we see the future, we're going to get ahead of it because it's actually going to be a competitive, like, bring it back to business. If it becomes a competitive advantage, then why wouldn't you do it? <laughs> and to me, that's there's nothing wrong with that motivation in my mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If if we can structure the incentives to to drive the you know the kind of change we need to see, mm. then, then like then bring bring on those incentives. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Hang the hang the target in the right place. You know, this yeah. joke. I keep shooting out my window. I'm like, well, stop hanging the target there. You know, so oftentimes we have our targets in the wrong spots, and you don't look past the target. Uh, anyway, anyways, not to go down that that road. Uh, from an Alberta economy, you know, Calgary, but this, you know, this is collisions YYC. But it, the conversations always become bigger because we don't live in a in a dome. We don't live in an island. We're all, we're all part of it. What I did hear loud and clear is from your perspective, you have a, it sounded like you had a degree of optimism for the companies in Alberta and our ability as leaders in there's nobody better at energy than us. And I, like, I'm very proud of what we've done in this province. And we do have a bit of a branding and a marketing problem because we haven't maybe told that story, but it sounds like there's work to be done, but I'm hearing a degree of optimism from you of where this province can go with what we're able to actually change. Yeah. I'm glad that that optimism comes through, but I'll maybe temper my own optimism by saying, okay. All right. by saying, um, it uh, it could still land on either side of the coin, you know. Um, okay, the, the coin's still flipping in the air. Is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> the coin is is up in the air, and um, and I do want to challenge um, companies, especially in my home province of Alberta here, to really think about like the the point in history where we are and the role that you can play in it. Because, um, you know, the, there's a lot of supporting data out there that shows there's money that you're going to leave on the table if you're not involved in the transition in some way. But I think when people hear that word transition, it, it can be scary. <laughs> Partly because, um, you know, like people don't know what that looks like exactly. But um, I, I would encourage people to really have a look at that uh, um, report from the Canadian Institute for Climate Choices, uh, sorry, Canadian Institute for Climate Choices, which I referenced earlier, um, because in there it talks about three different energy systems that exist in Canada, and I think it I, I think it's really helpful to see it in that way. Um, you know, right now we're we've benefited from the existence of one energy system, you know, the, the fossil fuel industry and all of the 
privileges and quality of life that it's given us. And so I can understand people who are very passionate about, you know, ensuring that the fossil fuel industry has a, a long future ahead of it. But why not, why not have three energy systems? Because we can, and in fact, we do. You know, the, the renewable energy systems are, you know, I think perhaps even just a few years ago, we're seen as, you know, sort of small and, and you know, kind of like fringe-worthy perhaps. But now it is, a, it is a significant part of Canada's energy grid um, and increasingly uh, around the world too. But um, it is a it is a fast growing and uh, you know it it is a fast growing sector. It's good for the Canadian economy. It's creating a significant amount of jobs. I, I, I don't mean to to uh, put this in people's faces who have um, lost work over the last year because I know that's been significant in Alberta. But renewable energy industry has created a lot more significant amount more jobs than the fossil fuel industry has. So. It's good for the economy, um, and uh, and we should be investing in it. At the same time, there's an opportunity to decarbonize the fossil fuel industry through all these clean tech technologies. Uh, carbon capture and utilization was a technology invented in Canada, in Alberta. I, I used to work for Synovus, so I, you know, I got to know the the, the Weyburn uh, facility that was, uh, you know, a test site for countries around the world who were looking at what Alberta was doing in Weyburn, Saskatchewan around this issue of carbon capture. And, 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 and now, now the whole world is doing it, thanks to us. And we're under-investing in this really significant opportunity to capture carbon emissions that are coming off of the facilities that are associated with fossil fuels and take that carbon and turn it into cement, turn it into lightweight steel, turn it into all kinds of consumer products that we can build new industries off of. Like this is, this is ours for the taking. It's a huge opportunity. So I appreciate it, that. It's just a matter of doing it. But there's one more energy system that I didn't talk about. And again, Alberta is so well positioned for because it is uh, uh, what could be a thriving biofuel sector that the agriculture industry has a huge role in playing in. Um, so again, if we're investing in all three energy systems, we can win as Canadians, Albertans, and it's something that most countries in the world would could only dream of being in a position to do that. I love it because it really supports the concept of energy abundance, not energy yeah, scarcity. And you know, like there's, we're not going to need less energy, but how we manage it and where we get to with that is what I love the, the abundance conversation. And you think about, you know, not just Canada, but the world. I like what you said. Some countries would, would kill for the opportunity <laughs> to be able to have what we have access to here with a little investment in a little direction. So I really, now I'm picturing the coin flipping in the air as we're talking, because the more you're talking I'm like, well, the coin went back up a little bit more opportunities before it lands. <laughs> there's a coin, but there's an updraft that keeps spinning it up in the air. <laughs> Yeah, Your yeah. last last bit last big question, um, maybe uh, putting you on the spot: net zero emissions by 2050, Canada. 
a nice buzzword, a reality, uh, thoughts. Are we on the right? Are we on the right path? Like that's probably that's a whole other coin flipping con- thing that's going on. But again, it gets thrown around. And I'm a marketer. I love a good term that people can get behind and then repeat. From where you see us heading, and obviously what you do, I see playing a big part in where you guys are headed. And you've been around for 25. You'll be around probably for the next 30 more. Playing into this, is it? What, what do you? What how, can you summarize this in two minutes or less? <laughs> Start the clock and go. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> you know, what I love about the net zero challenge is that um, it's an innovation challenge. Because when you say we have to completely revolutionize our business within uh, 30 years, um, you know, how are we going to do it? It is about getting every single person in the organization focused on this sort of moonshot. And it means you need to completely rethink your supply chains, how you move product. Do you have the right products? Are you creating them in, in, uh, in a way that makes sense? You know, rethinking every single part of your business to meet this grand challenge um, is a really interesting innovation challenge. And I believe that we're going to see uh, a trend growing where it's not just sort of chief sustainability officers in, you know, making uh, important executive decisions in companies, but that, you know, maybe that, maybe it's kind of like a chief sustainability innovation officer because people I think are going to be looking at these as really um, significant innovation challenges to unlock. And if they do it well, it, you know, the future of the economy is yours. And if you don't, then, you know, like, hopefully you had a good run. And, uh, <laughs> you know, well, well you, yeah, you won't, you won't be part of that uh, 2050 economy. And for anybody that thinks it's, uh, it's all, you know, just talk, um, there's, there's more than 70% of the world's largest companies that have now made this net zero challenge. Like, if you're thinking that, 70%. And, and that's just the start. That's just the start. Yeah, we're still early days at it. You're thinking yeah. that all of these companies are making empty commitments and not actually going to follow through. I, I, would, I, would say, I would say, like, you know, all of them are going to try. Um, not all of them will make it. But if you're thinking that, like, it's just an empty promise, then, yeah, good luck to you. You're not seeing the incredible amounts of reward at, that's waiting for the companies that make it. But like innovation comes from trying. Like that's your whole point. Even if you don't make it, it's still a win. It's one of those where, you know, where we send guys to the moon and we don't make it and something goes wrong. Where in this case, even if you don't get it, you're going to learn so much and change so many things on your way there. I like what you said. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's designed to inspire innovation. And yes, if, not saying minimizing the intent of getting there, but not, not getting on board. You're just missing out on innovating while your competitors are. I just bring it back to the dollars and cents of, of staying viable as an organization. You, you, had, you had a good run. Quote, there's your mic drop for the episode. That is quo is no longer an option. No, I appreciate that. Lior, loved it. This was a fantastic. I, I was, I, I came in pretty optimistic. I knew we were going to have a good chat. Our pre-chat was great. Love your passion and love that you've lived live this life and it feels like it's kind of catching up and you guys are clearly in a position to have impact on a Canadian, like local, but on a Canadian level. It's so, so honored to have you in our city and to be able to have you on the show. What's the best way people can get a hold of you? Cause I hope they're inspired after this conversation. I know I certainly am. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, like I said before, we, we do a lot of webinars and um, 
we, you know, we love to engage people through the podcast, uh, pipelines and turbines. Uh, and um, you can find out about all the research reports that we're working on and the webinars that we have upcoming through our uh, newsletter. Uh, you can sign up to that at um, cbsr.ca. Just go to the news, uh, the news section there and you'll see a way to subscribe to our newsletter. We'd love to uh, keep in touch with everybody and, um, and I'm, I'm pretty accessible, so reach out to me personally. That's awesome. And check out, I will, I'm going to, I'm going to double, I'm going to double pump it. Uh, Pipelines and Turbines, fantastic podcast. Love what you guys are doing on there. I just, I love the name right out of the gate. As soon as I saw it before I'd even met you, I was like, oh, I'm going to like this guy right away. Cause he, he knows how to name a podcast, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but the content, the content's fantastic. So keep up the good work on that. And for someone who really appreciates how much effort and energy goes into putting out good content, kudos to you guys on that. And uh, check out uh, CB, cbsr.ca to learn more. Thanks, Lior. Thank you. I'll say one more thing that I uh, I didn't mention earlier, which is that um, for for those listening uh, who might not know that Tyler was uh, a top forty under forty uh, uh, just a, just a couple of years ago. Um, we we were actually in the same top forty under forty cohort class, and so it's pretty it's pretty cool to like think yeah like if you're a top 40 under 40 graduate thank you avenue magazine yes thank uh, you that you know you too can have your own podcast perhaps (laughs) and and do some cool things so uh the the world is your oyster people (laughs) there you go from one one top 40 uh alumni to another it's uh, it's a pleasure to reconnect in this way and uh and share this experience with you oh thanks for that at the end i love it leora it was an absolute pleasure have yourself an awesome day you too bye time